0: As we're going to be in Acts chapter 25. Um, A couple things that I want to go over with you before we get into God's word. And uh, just a few announcements. Number one, we have a youth late in. So we're going to have the the kids are going to gather together, hang out. And that's on uh, Friday, February 12th, 630 to 1030. Um, So this is open to all kids, um, grades 7 through 12. And so I would encourage you to get signed up right away and uh, participate in that. We also have a blood drive that's coming up on Saturday, February 6th. It's taking place from 1130 in the morning to 430 in the afternoon, and it's happening here at Refuge. And it is a Saturday. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's too late to sign up and register for plasma donations, but still whole blood uh, is, is necessary, and so that's what we're going to have here. Uh, tell family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, whoever it is that you can, uh, and invite them out for that. As that is uh, is desperately needed um, always, but especially at this time, especially uh, plasma of those who have had COVID and can offer that um, that that is that is definitely something that is life saving, as Tom can attest to. The Lord has had blessed him with that, and uh, and he recovered um, when he wasn't doing so well. Yeah, yeah. So. We have also a Women's Bible Fellowship, uh, which is the study of God's Word. Uh, That's going to be a study through the book of James, and that begins on Tuesday, February 2nd. So that goes every other Tuesday beginning on that day, and the cost is $15. So today's the last day to sign up. Ladies, make sure that you go and sign up. That way you can be assigned to a group, and your group leaders can get a hold of you, and you can get the materials, and everything can be taken care of. We also have a week of prayer and fasting, kicking off tonight with a night of worship at 6.30. Um, A week of prayer and fasting is always needed. Uh, We can't do it enough. Uh, And yet, uh, at Refuge, we've set aside two weeks in in the year to where we take time as a church to come together and uh, fast and pray. And so tonight kicks it off again with a night of worship uh, we kind of flipped it around to where instead of concluding with the night of worship, uh, we're starting off with the night of worship. Uh, tonight, I will explain a little bit prior to going into that, this night of worship what uh, fasting is, is, what it isn't, and uh, how it is that we can all participate. And so we have that going on. I, um, I also have to bring up, and uh, in, in, actually, you know what? Turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Just bear with me. This is not part of the, the message itself, but I wanted to go over this because it's uh, something that the Lord had brought to my attention. Um. Well, it, A few people have asked, you know, where, like, how are you, Pastor, like, today, yesterday. Um, Quite honestly, I think this is where I'm at. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hakaliah. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. mourn for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, there are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear for your name. Fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Um, I say this because my... It's been a while. It's been a while since I've, I've seen just the, the state of our country. Quite honestly, it didn't just suddenly come come up on Wednesday. It's been happening. There's been a, a division. There's been a anger and bitterness, and quite frankly, it's been happening for years, though. Uh since uh what is it, nineteen seventy three? Is that when Roe v. Wade took place? What's that? Yeah, so seventy three, right. So um sixty two million five hundred thousand over. Sixty two million five hundred thousand babies have been murdered, not, not in the name of health, not because of the moms are in danger, but out of convenience. To the God of Malek, they've been offered. <laughs> um, child trafficking, it's interesting how we can lock down and find those who oppose certain ideologies, certain perspectives, point them out and shut them down, but We can't shut down child pornography. Child trafficking is still going. Um, The Bible speaks very clearly about um, lesbianism and homosexuality, and yet we have people that claim to be Christians, artists and even pastors behind the pulpit who simply embrace it. In the name of tolerance, Uh, if I may speak to the youth for a moment, you got to wake up. Your parents have to wake up. In this country, we still have the First Amendment. We still do today. right? So we can speak up for righteousness. Quite honestly, I think the church has been silent. We've been taught to mind our own business and... You know, let others mind their own, you know, let them live their lives and and just sit back while we watch our country go to hell. Well, our p c culture has been part of the problem, but we need to call things out for what they are and sometimes even behind the pulpit, we are fearful of naming names and yet. In Scripture the Apostle Paul was very clear in naming names and saying these people were false. I don't understand a church that cowards because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't understand cancel culture in why it is embraced. The very people who cancel others are the very people who say they cannot be canceled. How is it that there's only one voice that can be heard and all others will be silenced? You know, there was was an article that I had just read and and it basically listed out the way in which communism would infiltrate. Number one, and it's all from the inside. By the way, the whole 007 agent kind of a thing. Only ten percent of the KGB was given to that. The rest was all infiltration, blend in with the rest. Number one, demoralize. That means bring people to a place to where they have no hope. There's despondency. All right. Number two, destabilize. Destabilize, uh, cause division and, and undermining, uh, a fighting from within. Number three, cause a crisis. Once you cause that crisis, by the by the way, you can look this up. This is all communistic, play, play by play. This is nothing that. I've all all of a sudden come up with. It's all there. Number three, cause a crisis. And number four, normalize. You have a group come in, a savior who fixes everything, and everything is back to normal. But it's not. Have you heard the term new normal? New normal. Careful. Be very careful about that. And so I know that me taking a stance, I'm telling you, we need to learn as Christians, we need to learn how to articulate our position in Christ. Our position in Christ does not silence us from insisting on righteousness. No matter who's in office as the president, no matter who is our senator, no matter who is our governor, no matter who it is, now I'm not talking political affiliation. I'm not, I'm not talking any of that. I'm talking we as Christians need to stand up for righteousness. When you pray and you're in a restaurant, don't be shameful. Because remember, the first step in softening us up, and, and this is a 20 to 30 year process, when we're, we're at that point to where we are ripe, the first step is demoralization. Church, don't be demoralized. We go through scripture week in and week out. And our hope is not in anything or anyone else. We are of all people supposed to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Our hope is not in man, but it's in one person, Jesus Christ, and that's it, period. So I know that as I take this stance more and more and speak more and more out against the atrocities of some decisions that are made by those in authority and power, that there will be those who come alongside, but I know that there will be many others who leave. I believe as far as me and, you know, in support. Um, I'm going to talk about a few people who were actually falsely accused and uh, of something that they were not guilty of, one being Jesus. Christians will always be falsely accused. Just know that. If... If they, the world, persecuted Jesus, who are you and I to think that it's going to be any different? Therefore, stand. Don't stand with the world. Stand with Christ. The world is already opposed to Christ. Think about that. So I wanted to share my heart with you. I, I hope that was received well. I, I, I don't want to... Uh, um, tiptoe around these types of subjects because I want you to know you don't have to tiptoe around them either. Again, this PC culture has really been a detriment to the church and to, quite frankly, our, our country. And so we need to speak out. We need to speak out clearly. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your love. I thank you, Lord, that we can stand with you and know, Lord, that all things are possible with you. We do lift up our nation. Lord, I pray that you would reveal evil intentions. And Lord, that there would be an awakening amongst my countrymen. That we would see things for what they are and choose righteousness. Choose to bless you. Choose to be a nation that is governed by you. That we would, we would be a moral people that stand in truth. And so, Father... We commit this morning and, Lord, everything that we do into your hands, Lord, we ask your blessing. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide and direct us, Lord, that in the midst of perhaps brokenness and a contrite heart, Lord, that we know you won't despise him, but, Lord, you would do just even a deeper work. And so we love you. We commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get to Acts chapter 25. So Acts chapter 25. So Acts chapter 25 verse 1. The title of this morning's message is God means it for good. God means it for good. So Acts chapter 25 verse 1 says, "Now, 3 days after Festus had arrived in the pro- in the province, he went up to Jerusalem." From Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Vessus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So said he let the men of authority among you go down with me and if there is anything wrong about the man let them bring charges against him uh, i want to bring to your attention uh the story of the uh, of Cain and Abel you know that's back in genesis chapter 4 but you know just the the whole situation where Cain and Abel and God it was uh where Cain was jealous over how it was that uh he perceived that God had favored Abel and received his sacrifice, and not Cain's. And really, he had uh, he had warned him, uh, and we're going to see that. Uh, but it was also a matter of the heart. What what was in Cain's heart that was really of greatest importance? Because Cain was warned by God about the dangers of not rejecting evil temptations. Is it sin to be tempted? No. Right? At the time that God had warned Cain, it still hadn't become sin. It was just temptation. And so God warned him. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, he says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And so he, even there, he was already telling, telling Cain, listen, you need to change your perspective. You need to change your heart. Because if you change your heart toward me, what you offer will be received by me. And so he was telling he was pleading with them at that point. In a perfect way. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Evil temptations do not only come in the form of lies, murders, theft, sexual immorality, and drunkenness. Evil temptations also come in the form of envy and hatred, bitterness, revenge, desire to cause harm or inflict harm on others, Anger, division, and idolatry. And when we are faced with difficult circumstances for long periods of time, we have a tendency to give in to those fleshly temptations. We grow tired. We get broken down. Perspective. Joseph had the right perspective. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It's calculated that Joseph spent about 12 years in captivity, in, a, in prison. Imagine that, 12 years. One year being under the, I guess, the, uh, the oversight of Potiphar before he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape. And there is nothing documented. Think about this 12 years being falsely accused, being thrown into, uh, sold into slavery. There's nothing documented that demonstrated that Joseph was overwhelmed with bitterness, resentment, anger, and hatred. That's impressive. That that really is. How many people can spend 12 days in prison without starting to have those kinds of thoughts? Bitterness, anger, resentment. 12 hours. 12 minutes. And yet, Joseph, 12 years, and you don't see any of that. Joseph believed that God had a purpose. He stated it in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. He said it very plainly. And we know that by that statement that we can therefore conclude that the reason why we don't see bitterness, resentment, anger, or hatred is because he believed that in the midst of it all, God had a plan. Even though he didn't know it. Even though he didn't see it, he believed it. That's why, you know, it's important as we sing these songs, we um, we put the lyrics correctly, and you know, and we we put them in context. It's funny when you put the comma in the wrong spot; it means something completely different, right? Well, Leland, they sing the song. Perhaps you know at Waymaker. says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. I love those lyrics because it, it speaks of... You know, a faith that doesn't have to, like, see it. I have to see it to believe it. That's not an exercise of faith. Believe that it is because God spoke it. That's it, period. And we see evidence of faith day in and day out. We just have to pay attention. Oh, and then don't get me started on feelings. When you, and pay attention to how you speak too, right? Uh, people are so into, how can you argue with feelings? Seriously, how, how can you argue with feelings? Well, I feel like, uh, you know, God is speaking to me in this way, and I, and I feel like I need to do this, and, and I feel like it's like, mm, stop it, <laughs> please Stop. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. His word is still truth, and we're either for him or against him. We either stand in truth and righteousness or against it. There's nothing in between i I wish there was for my sake, I wish there was really. I'd like to stand in the middle and not go one way or the other. But the Lord says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. You're either for me or against me. You're either in darkness or light. You're either uh, in unrighteousness or righteousness. You know, take your pick. You know, so he, he doesn't leave us to like the middle. And I've often said that Satan owns the fence upon which you sit. The fence of undecisiveness. Even when... Joseph didn't see it. He believed in Isaiah 55, eight and nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. That's just a statement of truth. I love that because I can always go to him. Are these thoughts that I'm having? Are they your thoughts? Lord? And the way we can find out if they're his or not is we go to the word of God. And then we realize often, oh, they're not your thoughts. I need to get back to your word. These are your ways, Lord. Go back to his word. No, they're not your ways. I got to fall in line with your ways, Lord, that I may bless and glorify you. That I may demonstrate my love for you by the manner in which I live my life. The things I say, the things I do, the way I think. The way a person is driven to give up, just going back to what we're referring to here, and we have this example of Joseph and perhaps the warning of for Cain, is just that onslaught by the enemy, right? And the way a person is driven to give up is by being demoralized by a constant barrage of accusations and opposition, Like relentless. That's why attorneys will break down a witness by a constant barrage of perhaps little innuendos and accusations. And they just start breaking you down to the point to where it's like, you'll say anything. If the enemy can't send you to hell because of unbelief, then he'll attack you until you give up and shut up. Think about that. He can't send you. Once Once you're the Lord, you're the Lord's. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. But he can sure make you give up. And pipe up. Quiet. Be quiet. If he can do that, then he succeeded. With Satan, it's always a false information campaign that seems relentless and makes it appear as if the world is against you and one can't win. Well, the world is against you. That, that's just the truth. The, the world is against the one who is with Christ. But the truth is, is that we've already won. But remember that what is impossible with man is possible with God, according to Matthew nineteen twenty six. Paul knew this to be true, and he never gave in or gave up. That's why I love looking at the disciples, the apostles of the early church, because it's these men who I can look to and be encouraged by and know that they never gave in or gave up. They'd rather be crucified upside down like Peter was than to give up or give in. Oh, that's encouraging. Brothers and sisters, that's encouraging to stand on the side of truth. To stand with Christ. The way you can maintain the right perspective in the midst of trials and tribulations is to remember that what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And God is never mocked. It's something that you can, in the midst of trials and tribulation, you can say, I don't, I don't have the answer to this. I don't know why. But in the midst of it all, God is still in control, in control. He's still on the throne. He's sovereign. And he has a purpose and a plan for this. Perhaps it's to draw me closer to him. Get rid of some things that I've been holding on to. Or maybe for the benefit of others around me. I don't know. We always think it's at our expense. But it's not. It's not woe is me, we're not the victim, we're the victors in Christ, and therefore whatever we are faced with an encounter is all serving the Lord to bless and glorify Him. In life or death. In sickness or in health. So remain steadfast in the Lord. Continue to proclaim the gospel because God is in control. And He means it. For good, whatever it is that you're going through, He doesn't have to explain things to you for that to be true. You know, we're always looking for a reason. Like, you tell me why, and you know, I'll keep going, God. No, no, you just keep going. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I don't need to be given an explanation as to why. Just you, just keep going, be faithful, knowing that God is faithful. Paul knew this all to be true, and even though Paul was being falsely accused, he never gave up because his purpose in life, as should be the purpose of all Christians, was to live for the glory of Jesus by following through with the Lord's commandment to evangelize and disciple, even when he didn't see it or feel it. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. In this chapter, Paul will have been in prison for over two years in Caesarea and is now on his second trial for the same offense, false accusations that have yet to be proven. But for the sake of maintaining favor in the eyes of the Jews, Paul was actually kept in prison. We learned last time that uh, Felix, really at the point when he was going to be succeeded by Festus, it was at that point that he should have been released. But he wasn't. And Because they wanted to be they have favor in the eyes of the Jews, they kept him in prison beyond the two years. And uh, he's about to retried, be retried for the same baseless accusations. Again, verse 1 of chapter 25 says, Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him Asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he uh, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So uh, this is a request by these religious leaders to retry Paul. And uh, just as we see here, the enemy is relentless. The enemy is relentless. Paul's enemies wasted no time in attempting what they failed to do with the previous governor. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea, he traveled to Jerusalem where the chief priests and the influential men or prominent men of the Jews approached him and presented their case against Paul being persistent in their attempt to persuade Governor Festus to to order Paul to be brought to Jerusalem to be tried. just We need to understand who these men were. These were the influential, the religious leaders of the Jews in the synagogue and, and upholding, supposedly upholding, the Torah. These men who were leading the Jewish people had something in their hearts, and it wasn't the Lord. They had murder in their hearts. And they were attempting to manipulate Festus, trying to deceive him. Because all the while, what they really wanted is for Paul to be brought to Jerusalem, and on his way to Jerusalem, they would ambush him and kill him. They wanted to permanently shut Paul up completely down. Just shut him down. They weren't interested in a fair trial, they were corrupt, they were depraved. In mind, and only sought to silence any opposition that would threaten their authority over the people, their power. They, they were they were so enamor, enamored with it and, and zealous for their own power that they were willing to go to any lengths, including murder, to shut down any opposition. This is one of the tactics of the enemy: silence his opposition by any means division is another one demoralization is another all of this to bring death especially to the relationship between one person and the lord remember that the enemy first attacks the mind your thoughts make sure you guard them Larger thoughts. Uh, Philippians 4 8 talks about those things that are worthy of meditating on. It would do us well to all look at Philippians 4 8 on a regular basis and, and think about those things. You know, 2 Corinthians 10 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So to line up, to fall in line with, The word of God. So taking those thoughts captive. Now the enemy is relentless. And so remain vigilant and discerning. Be prepared to respond at all times. With godly or biblical wisdom. With action. Because it's not enough to know what to do. You must know how to respond. And then respond. You should always pray for discernment. For wisdom. Because wisdom is the... Knowledge not just of facts and truth, but it's also the right application of truth. Festus did not satisfy their demands. He told them that Paul. is being kept in Caesarea. I'm going to go there in a few days. Gather all those people who are, can go with me to testify against him. Build up your case. Come with me and, and we'll try him. Verse six, as we continue, says after he stayed among them, not more than eight or 10 days, he went down to Caesarea and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, quote, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense, close quote. That was it. Verse 9, But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered to Caesar, you have appealed to Caesar, you shall go. Well, there's an appeal to justice. And what we have here is an example of godly discernment. Notice that as as we as we consider the exchange between Paul and these men of authority, especially Governor Festus at this point, and the council is present, that there there's no sense of fear in Paul. At that very point, he was feel, filled with a, a a disciplined confidence in the Lord, knowing that God, in the midst of it all, was doing a work. Well. Festus, after having spent a little over a week in Jerusalem, went back to Caesarea and the following day he took his seat at the judgment seat to hear uh, the accusations and consider the defense of the Apostle Paul. Present was the opposing council, which comprised of the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews. There was Festus and then there was the council and then there was the accused Paul. The accusers were described as having brought many and serious charges against the Apostle Paul. But they could not prove any of them. Think about what failure that would be, right? For any team of attorneys to come with their witnesses and, 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 and there's testimony, but there, it's, it's all empty. It's all just words, just like, that's what's being spoken, but nothing of any substance. Because it says here that even though they brought many and serious charges against Paul, they couldn't prove not a one of them. Now remember that Paul was accused of inciting an insurrection against Rome. You remember that, right? Was he not accused of that? But that serious accusation couldn't have been further from the truth. Was that true? wasn't true. And we have facts to back that up. You look back in Scripture and you see how it is that as we've gone through the chapters, we see that there is no evidence of that whatsoever. Peter and the disciples had been arrested, beaten and ordered to not speak in the name of Jesus. In fact, let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I think sometimes as we're reminded of these things... Actually, um, chapter 5. We are encouraged. We see how it is that um, the manner in which Paul is conducting himself is consistent with the manner in which the previous disciples and apostles had also conducted themselves in the midst of these types of trials. It kind of gives us an idea of how it is that we are to conduct ourselves in the midst of opposition, trials, and tribulation. So in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But we know that an angel uh, uh, at night, um, ordered by the Lord, opened the prison doors, and they came out. And then they went to the town square, and they started preaching the gospel, right? They were, um, the next morning, the guards came. They found that they weren't there. Someone told them they were in the town square preaching. And so they went and brought him out. Now, verse 33 says, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, uh, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Um, It would have been good for Gamaliel to be in this hearing. He would have been able to speak some sense perhaps into these men who were falsely accusing the Apostle Paul. And yet we go back to Acts chapter 5 and we see how it is that clearly... It was Peter and the other disciples who had been thrown into prison, and they were accused of the very same thing. But what, were, what, were, uh, what was Peter and the rest of the disciples doing after the angel broke them out of jail? They were in the town square. They were gathering all the people, right? They were breaking windows, setting uh, fire to all the buildings, and they were telling people to rebel against Rome. no. They weren't doing that, but that's what they were accused of doing. Weren't they? They were accused of that very thing, and yet that that wasn't true. What they were doing is simply sharing the gospel. Think about this far from the truth is what the world was accusing them of. When the world opposes you and persecutes you, we're in good company. Let's learn from these men who have gone before us, who have paved the way, and let us stand with confidence. We stand in confidence not in our own power, but by the grace of God and by His Spirit. Well, because the accusers didn't have any proof of the charges, Paul could simply make one simple statement. I'm not against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar. I've not committed any offense against any of them. There was nothing there for Festus to judge on. Nothing. But I believe it was to appease the leaders of the Jews. Festus asked if Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there. He knew. He didn't find anything. And yet, just to appease the Jews, he said, well, let's continue this charade. We'll send you now from Caesarea, we'll send you to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, perhaps you can stand trial there before me. But then you have perhaps more people that can testify against you. Okay, pretty much more of the same is what we have. Well, Paul refused. At this point, he refused. And he actually used an instrument that was afforded to him by Roman law. He appealed to Caesar. He knew that any Roman citizen that appealed to Caesar would, would, by law, have to go before Caesar. And there lay his case before him that Caesar would hear it and make judgment on, pass judgment on. You see, Paul had a clear conscience and he knew that he was to witness to kings and rulers. You remember that. When God ordained him, he says, you're going to go before kings and rulers, Jews and Gentiles, and you're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to you're going to tell them about the good news. And so he appealed to Caesar. Take me before the one who is basically over the world. Take me to him. Now we don't know if Paul knew about the plans to ambush him. We're not told that. There could be assumptions, but we're not going to go there. We don't know. But we do know that he was done with the Jews and their false accusations and used the judicial process afforded to him by Roman law to appeal to Rome and avoid any further unnecessary fake and fixed judicial processes. He said, I'm I'm done with that. I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Rome. He even told Festus, you know. You know there's nothing here. You know I'm an innocent man. Why would you send me to Jerusalem? Nah, I'm appealing to Caesar. That's it. We're done. He's going to the king. Listen, according to Scripture, God has appointed the judicial system and so it should be used when possible to make every effort to prove one's case. And I say that for Americans, we have that before us. So if you stand on the side of what's right, then stand on that and use the judicial process so that more people will be encouraged also to stand for righteousness. We have Mike McClure, who is presently looking at $1 million. I don't know if you knew this. $1 million in fines, because he has not imposed upon everyone coming into the church, and this is in Santa Clara, I want to say, mandated them uh, to wear masks and um, to, I don't know, socially distance and all that. It's like, quite honestly, I don't have the power and authority to do that. I, I really don't and it's it's actually not law uh it's an order but we can go through it's it's not even constitutional and that that's just a a stated fact i am not it's not my opinion it's not my feelings it's it's not what my perspective it's just fact right he is using the judicial system to fight against this. They were going to put him in jail. But. They didn't. You know. We're, we still have that. In the U.S. We still have that. And so. You know. Here at Refuge. We're willing to. Use it. If we're brought to that. But you have the freedom. To stay at home. Some people are staying at home. They're watching on YouTube. Live. Or Facebook. You have that right but you and you and you and you and you and you and you all of us have the right to freely choose to come and worship in person that's up to you i can't make that decision for you and so we use our judicial system at this time to stand up for that which we know to be right paul did Paul appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar he shall go. Let's move through this. Verse 13 continues, Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the uh, the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss, uh, how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So authority is at a loss at this point. We have Paul, um, you know, had asked the people, the, the, the uh, chief priests and uh, the leading men of Jerusalem to come out to Caesarea, you stake your claim, make your case. What, are, what is it that you're accusing Paul of? Uh, they did, but there was no proof. The apostle Paul defended himself, and that was it, and Festus couldn't find any wrongdoing. There, there was nothing, nothing at all. Now, the person that this was brought to now, Festus is appealing to King Agrippa. Uh, King Agrippa and Bernice came to visit Festus, and Herod Agrippa, by the way, and this Herod Agrippa, was the grandson of the man who tried to kill Jesus. He was the grandson of the man who beheaded John the Baptist and the son of the man who martyred the first apostle James. So he was, you know, in the line of uh, some men who were directly opposed to the, the, the our throne, <laughs> the king, God. Bernice was... Uh, king Agrippa 's sister and so and there's thought there from from uh, commentaries and from extra biblical books to where it's believed that Bernice uh, being King Agrippa's sister, they were in, in, in an insensuous uh, relationship, uh, but again, that biblically is is not confirmed, but you may have that come up at some point, especially if you're studying scripture. And uh, and so I just wanted to make a note on that. Now, King Agrippa was a man of great influence, obviously. And Festus sought his counsel and requested him to hear the case of Paul to perhaps offer some insight that he had not come across, that he hadn't been brought to his attention. Maybe, maybe he just uh, didn't see something. He uh, just overlooked something that was just obvious. So... Festus explained to Agrippa all that had taken place with the Apostle Paul, as we already know, we've gone through this, and confessed that he was at a loss. How do I continue without any evidence? How can I really appeal? Uh, how can I send him off to Caesar with no like reason why? He appealed to Caesar, and so I'm stuck in sending him to Caesar, but I have no reason that would accompany him. And so he appealed to King Agrippa, and King Agrippa agreed to do so. Uh, What we do learn is that there were more details in the previous hearing before Festus as we read this account. Um, There was a a dispute regarding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is where Festus was at a loss. You know, the the only thing that they were disputing about is is the, the life, death, and resurrection. Paul says that this Jesus Christ also resurrected from the grave. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's the argument there? That's the one thing. Well, the apostle Paul was following through with exactly what the Lord wanted him to do proclaim the life, death, life, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did. This was the dispute. But note that Paul was being given opportunity after opportunity. After opportunity to confess the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To explain how, from the scriptures, this was prophesied and fulfilled, and now Jesus is, we know, has always been the Messiah, the Savior that God promised from the beginning. So, Agrippa agreed to hear the case. And he was ready to do so the following day. Verse 23 says, So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. Or it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Now this is uh, this is an event. Uh, if you've ever been to uh, a fishing event, this is what it is. This is everyone bring your bait and uh, let's go on a fishing expedition. This is what it was: fishing for accusations. We got to find something, boys. Let's bring it all together. Let's get together and let's put our minds together and let's really think about. What he's saying and, and perhaps I have to write something down for Caesar and I can't send him off. I'm, I would look back bad. And so here we are. Even the military, the, the heads of the military, the, these people, everyone was gathered together. They had to come up with something, right? This was quite an event. Pomp and circumstance. This is many leaders of the state were present. Military leaders, prominent, powerful, influential men of the city also being present. The stage was being set and handed over. The stage was being set, and it was magnificent. As we look back, can you imagine, it's the Apostle Paul who's front and center. It wasn't King Agrippa. It wasn't the the, the general. It wasn't any influential men of the city. Those kind of fade to the background. It's like, The one who rises to the center of the stage is Paul. And these men were fishing for accusations. They kept trying, sending Paul from one group to another to be seen and tried over false allegations with absolutely no proof whatsoever. And all they were doing was furthering the plan and purpose that God had for Paul. Imagine that. They thought that they were in control when the whole time God had this plan set out. And yeah, bring, bring in all the influential people. Bring in all the leaders, all the rulers. Bring in all the military leaders. Bring everyone in. This only furthers the command that I gave Paul to go and declare the gospel to Jews, Gentiles, kings, everyone. Y'all are here, and you call this meeting. What others mean for evil, God means for good. Because he's sovereign and can use anything he desires to expose people to the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Anything. Everything. Paul will make his defense. Next week, we'll, we'll take a look at that. God is the one that's set the stage. Think about that. What, what is it in your life that God has just set up? He's set the stage. Because God has set the stage with the Apostle Paul, even though the Roman officials thought that they had set the stage. They thought they were in control. Not at all. Listen, don't be duped into believing that trial and tribulation means that God has lost control. He has not. Don't be fooled into giving up thinking that there is no hope when the day seem chaotic and evil. Seems to be prevailing because God is still on the throne and always will be. Stand fast in truth and never let yourself fall into a state of silence. What others mean for evil, God means for good. I want to leave you with this, and it's found in Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. We can stand in you, Lord. We can confidently walk with you. Lord, as The Apostle Paul did as James did as Stephen and Philip. As Peter did. As others did, so should we. Lord, we are not to be filled with fear. For you have not given us a spirit of fear. But of power, love and a sound mind. Of discipline. Let us be disciplined in your word. True to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let us speak with clarity. Of your grace, your love, your compassion, your mercy. And the love that you first demonstrated to us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That salvation comes through none other but Jesus Christ. For Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let us hold fast to the confession that Jesus himself has died in our place to pay for our sins, shedding his blood for our justification, that we may enter boldly into your very presence. And know that we have been forgiven of our sins and I have a place with you in heaven for all eternity. And so, Lord, encourage your people and bring to salvation more as they confess their belief, their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.